0: Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. How fitting it is that the theme of our worship today on Father's Day would be the love of God. Um, I I would say uh, no one teaches children, has the greater opportunity to teach children about the nature of the love of God than fathers and mothers, and I would say, particularly fathers, um, it just seemed that way in my case. I, I think you know there's there's an aspect of God's love that fathers can only teach us, and there's an aspect of God's love that only mothers can teach us, um, and a nurturing aspect, uh, but. My father uh, died when I was 18. He was in the Air Force for 24 years. He, he led worship at the various churches he was at while he was in the Air Force. He started leading worship when he was 15, um, when, his fa- when his father died. Uh, his dad had led the worship in his church. And When he retired from the military, he became an associate pastor and continued leading worship and had other roles in churches. Um, but with my dad and I, I began to think of my heavenly father. Um, I, I learned some things about my heavenly father from my dad. And that was that my dad, I could go to him when I messed up and tell him and he listened and he forgave me and he didn't get mad at me. When I told him, "Hey, Dad, I, I really blew it," um, I went to him uh, one day. I when I was in the seventh grade, I got caught cheating on a math test, and uh, my teacher I was I was not a good cheater. It was the first time I tried it. <laughs> so uh, I had uh, I had this um, uh, just my notebook under my desk, you know. It was just it was really bad. Um, and the teacher just walked by and she saw me doing it. She just leaned down and wrote a zero on my paper. And so I went home and, um, I just told my dad, you know, dad, I cheated on a test today and I got caught and she gave me a zero. I couldn't remember what isosceles was, you know, isosceles triangles. I just couldn't get that in my head and, you know, I, being a perfectionist, I, I wasn't going to be happy unless I had a B or an A, so I cheated, and I'm sorry, and he forgave me, and not only did he forgive me, he wrote a note to my teacher asking that she would just consider giving me some mercy or giving me another chance, and I think she ended up giving me a 70 on the test, but uh, that evening, of course, we went to church and my dad was a youth minister and I was in the youth group and one of the, one of the girls, Jerry Murphy, you know what your son did? He cheated on his math test today. And I was like, man, I'm glad I told my dad about <laughs> that. <laughs> so there's safety and refuge in telling our Heavenly Father and going to Him when we sin and taking our sins to Him and confessing to Him. And when we do... He forgives us like my dad did and he doesn't count it against us he's not well you're cheating on your math test don't even talk to me I don't want to see you you know for a week he's not like that he welcomes us with open arms and many of you um, have seen that from your fathers and some of you haven't many of you who are fathers here today and some of us have seen that kind of love and grace for mothers uh, many of you who are fathers here today you exhibit that kind of love and grace your children and um, I would encourage you to continue to do that and that your kids is important as parents fathers and mothers that your kids know that they can come to you um, no matter how bad they mess up and that there is grace and mercy and Um, not not necessarily that they're just coming to you to get out of something but they realize man i blew it i i messed up um i feel bad i'm sorry i um they can come to you and you will model the love of god our heavenly father to them so now let's go to the message um Have you guys ever, well, do you remember the first time that someone shared a secret with you when you were a kid? Um, Or maybe one of the first times. And I'm talking about a good secret. Not like, you know, something that, not gossip or something like that. But a secret. Maybe it was someone's plans of what they were going to do. Maybe your dad was telling you, hey, look at this necklace i bought your mother or maybe it's your mom saying hey look what i got your dad for father's day um look what we're going to give him happy father's day by the way fathers and uh or maybe it was i remember as a kid my brothers several of my brothers telling me before they got engaged their plans of how they were gonna ask their wives or their Asked their girlfriends to to marry them, and the excitement—how um, exciting it was to be included in that and know what their plans were—even before their girlfriends knew. Um, or maybe someone told you, "Hey, I'm going to have a baby," and or you're going to have. Your parents told you, "We're going to have. You're going to have a baby brother or baby sister." Um, do you remember what that felt like? and how exciting that was. Did you feel special to be included in that, to receive that knowledge that was hidden, um, that wasn't revealed to everyone? Did you feel grateful? Did you feel appreciative of that, that you were trusted or entrusted with that knowledge? Um, Our Heavenly Father has entrusted us with His secret. And his secrets. And he's entrusted us with the gospel and the truths of the gospel. And not only has he entrusted us with those, but he's given us the ability to receive them, the wisdom to understand them, and to live in accordance with those truths. Turn your Bible to um, Ephesians 1. And we're going to start in verse 7. Um, last time we talked about our redemption, that we were in Ephesians several weeks ago. And you can, you can uh, listen to that sermon online. But we're just going to start in verse 7 um, just to, to review a little bit. In Him we have redemption through His blood. So, we're going to break this down a little bit at a time. And and we kind of left off with that last phrase, or or actually it's in verse 8, last time, um, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So, God, when he redeemed us, through his blood, not only did he forgive us of our sins, but he also abounded his grace toward us in wisdom and prudence. He gave, He not only forgave us of our sins, but he gave us the wisdom to receive and the understanding to receive the gospel and the truths of the gospel and the knowledge of the gospel Um. And the secrets of the gospel, the things that are hidden from others, that are not understood by others, the things that others, that have not always been revealed to others. He's given us the wisdom and without wisdom and prudence, we could not be saved. Without wisdom, we could not receive the gospel. We could not believe we could not receive God's truth. Um, so which you look at verse eight, which you made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And some of this is review because I talked a little bit about this at the end of the sermon last time. This this phrase, this clause here, which you he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence is connected to verse seven, but it's also connected to verse nine. So, talking about it in each sermon. In his commentary on Ephesians, Charles Hodge gives three possibilities of how this clause can be understood. In all wisdom and prudence, could refer one to God's wisdom and prudence in making His grace abound toward us. If it is taken with the preceding clause, according to the riches of His grace, which He had made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, it could refer to God's wisdom and prudence in making known to us the mystery of his will, have taken with the succeeding cause in all wisdom and prudence he made known to us the mystery of his will. Or it could refer to the wisdom of prudence God bestows on us when he makes known to the mystery of his will. This takes at all wisdom and prudence with the preceding cause and shows that the grace which he makes to abound toward us includes the impartation of knowledge according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So is this talking about God's wisdom and prudence? Or is it talking about our wisdom and prudence or the wisdom and prudence he gave us? It's talking about the wisdom and prudence he gave to us. And that wisdom um, includes uh, uh, that God bestows on us that wisdom and prudence. And... He bestows it on us when he makes known to us the mystery of his will, which follows in the next verse. This last option is the only one that makes the wisdom and prudence described our wisdom and prudence rather than God's, or rather God's gift of wisdom and prudence toward us rather than wisdom and prudence, which he exercises either in giving grace or in giving knowledge. Um, according to Hodge, this last explanation seems decidedly preferable because the terms here used particularly the word fronessus, prudence, is not in its ordinary sense properly referable to God. So the word prudence here is not used of God, it's used of man. This last option also seems to fit the context and the syntax better. Um, The MacArthur Study Bible says, redemption brings in the limitless grace of God and forgiveness of sin, and it brings divinely bestowed Spiritual understanding. So what is wisdom? What is this wisdom? Calvin says it is the preaching of the gospel by which the goodness of God overflows upon us. It is through faith that we receive Christ by whom we come to God and by whom we enjoy the privilege of adoption. Paul gives the Gospel the magnificent appellations of wisdom and prudence for the purpose of leading the Ephesians to despise all contrary doctrines. End quote "The false apostles try to make their teachings appear more wise, and the devil tries to belittle the gospel. Paul, on the other hand, and I quote Paul, Calvin, St Paul, on the other hand, builds up the authority of the gospel that believers may rest upon it with unshakable confidence." So, I would say the wisdom here is not the gospel itself, as Calvin would say. I would say that wisdom is the ability to understand and receive the truths of the gospel. Um, with wisdom, the apostle connects, uh, excuse me, Charles Hodge said, with wisdom, the apostle connects Phronesis, which is here used much in the same sense. As soon as this in Colossians 1.9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in an all spiritual understanding. It is not confined to strictly intellectual exercise, but expressly also those of the affections. In other words, when used in reference to spiritual things, it includes all that is meant by spiritual discernment. It is the apprehension of the spiritual excellence of the things of God and the answering affection toward them it is not, therefore, a mere outward revelation of which the apostle here speaks, end quote. So this, is, this word prudence is also referring to spiritual understanding or the ability to receive knowledge and truth and respond with the right affections to that knowledge and truth, according to Charles Hodge. Um, The new illustrated Bible dictionary edited by Ronald Youngblood says that wisdom is, quote, the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. I would say I would also define it as the ability to live rightly and make sound choices in light of the gospel and the truths of scripture. As the new illustrated Bible dictionary points out, Paul contrasts the wisdom of the cross with the wisdom of the world in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1:23 to 25, he wrote, "But we preach Paul wrote, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God" and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So there Paul is contrasting the wisdom of the cross with the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So the the preaching at the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews because they didn't have the wisdom to understand it. Wisdom is a gift from God. Unless God gives us the wisdom to understand, we cannot understand the gospel. They stumbled at the cross. Um, And to the Greeks, the gospel, Christ crucified was foolishness. But to those who were called... Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So, Christ is the wisdom of God. God has given us to those who are called, He's revealed the secret, He's given us the wisdom to understand and receive the truths of the gospel. Christ is the wisdom of God personified in Scripture. All wisdom and truth is embodied in him. The gospel is the wisdom of God revealed to us, but wisdom is also an understanding and reception of the spiritual truths of the gospel and the revelation of God that enables us to live rightly. So wisdom is also an understanding and reception of the spiritual truths of the gospel and the revelation of God that enables us to live rightly. So it's not enough that God would reveal to us the secret because the secret of the gospel are all right here and they're preached to the Jews and the Greeks and we're foolish to them. We all also need to have the wisdom of God imparted to us in order to be able to receive those truths. So we're going to move to the next clause. Wisdom and prudence spiritual understanding, these things are gifts from God um, that he's made a bound toward us according to the riches of his grace. And he's done that by making known to us the mystery of his will, having made known to us the mystery of his will. So what is this mystery of his will? Um, we don't want to think the word here mysterion in the Greek we don't think of mystery um, in the modern sense what what the word mystery or mysterion means in the New Testament is it's not like a murder mystery where you got to figure out a puzzle or something like that but it's it's a um, something that has been hidden it was formerly hidden that has been revealed a spiritual truth that was formerly hidden, that was not always known or widely revealed, that now has been revealed. Boyce says in biblical and Bible language, a mystery is some, something that formerly was known but is now revealed. Um, the Net Bible, Net Bible says on the internet, in the New Testament, mysterion refers to a divine secret previously undisclosed. Calvin says, Paul refers to his doctrine as a mystery of the divine will, which God has now been pleased to reveal because some were alarmed by its novelty. Um, So God has caused this wisdom to abound. Um, Charles Hodge said, God has caused this wisdom to abound or has communicated it, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, in other words, by the revelation of the gospel. The word mysterion, mystery, means a secret, something into which we must be initiated, something which being undiscoverable by us can be known only as it is revealed. In this sense, the gospel is a mystery, and any fact or truth, however simple in itself, in the New Testament sense of the word, is a mystery, if it lies beyond the reach of our powers. So the gospel is a mystery. And I will say that when the word mystery is used in the New Testament it's used in to have to refer to different spiritual truths that have, were hidden and have been revealed. And I would say in general it refers to the gospel. The mystery, the mystery is the gospel. And then specifically there are mysteries of the gospel, there are certain truths of the gospel and God's plan of redemption, uh, specific components of that that are subsets of that mystery. So the gospel is the mystery that God has revealed to us, but there are aspects or, or particular truths of that gospel that are described as mysteries themselves as well. So when God, when Paul uses the term mystery... Sometimes he's speaking of the gospel in general, and sometimes he's speaking of particular different truths of the gospel. So we're going to examine some of the passages in the New Testament where Paul uses the term mysterion or mystery. First, let's start in Romans 11, verses 25 through 26. Romans 11, verses 25 through 26a. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. So Paul does not want the believers in Rome, to be ignorant of this mystery. And what is the mystery here specifically? What mystery is he referring to? What aspect of God's redemptive plan or redemptive purpose is he referring to? Well, first of all, that Israel has experienced a partial... uh, Well, this MacArthur note says this, this mystery has two components. Israel has experienced a partial spiritual hardening and the hardening will last... Only for a divinely specified period of time. So MacArthur is saying, and Paul is saying here, that um, there's a blindness that has happened to Israel. Israel is not able to receive the gospel for this time period. Most of the Jews, there were some Jews that were being saved or that have been saved, but the majority of the Jewish people were not able to receive the gospel. They were blind to it. It was a stumbling block to them, as we read earlier, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, until God had brought all a certain number of Gentiles, the uh, um, men and women from other nations, into the body of Christ, into the church. Israel was temporarily blinded. And once... All those Gentiles came into the church, once they have come into the church, then there will be a turning of Israel back to God. All Israel will be saved. So there will be um, a receptance by Israel or by a large number of Jews uh, of the gospel at that time. So that is one mystery that was hidden that God has revealed to us in His Word. And that God, that Paul revealed. God revealed to Paul and Paul revealed, shared with the Roman believers. Let's look at Romans 16, 25 through 26. <clears throat> now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began begin but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. So according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began but now made manifest. So I think here when God when Paul speaks of the mystery he's talking about the gospel in general that Jesus, that God became incarnate, that God, God became flesh, that Jesus, the Son of God, became a man, and that he died for our sins, and that he redeemed sinners on the cross. This is the mystery that was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. Um, so, and then first, let's look at 1 Corinthians 2.6. 1 Corinthians 2.6 However, we speak wisdom and I'm going to read several verses here. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet not the wisdom of this age. There's that word wisdom again. Spiritual understanding, ability to receive um, the truth of God and the ability to receive that truth nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For they, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For had they know, So we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the, the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, that is, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of God except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So Paul is speaking wisdom. He's speaking spiritual truth. But the Holy Spirit also must give us wisdom in the sense of the ability to accept or receive that truth. And remember this. I mean, this just stuck out to me when I was reading it. The the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. None of the rulers of this age knew. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord. If the rulers of the age knew and what mystery is he talking about here? That God will save and glorify sinners, is what MacArthur said. Or that maybe that Jesus was the Son of God. That the, the mystery of the incarnation. That Christ was the Son of God. If the rulers had known that, they would not have crucified him. They didn't know. Why didn't they know? They were blind. They didn't have the wisdom from God, from the Spirit. To receive this truth. About Jesus. The spirit had not get, had not opened their eyes. And the next time. I mean. Sometimes we get frustrated. With the world don't we? Um, we get frustrated. With the agendas. The world is pushing. And with the rulers of the world. The politicians. The things they're pushing. Um, we get frustrated. With the whole. Uh, transgender uh, issue and um, the whole non-binary agenda that's being pushed on us. I was I was uh, watching a TV show um, this week called uh, Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek show. And I'm a Star Trek fan. I've been a Star Trek fan since I was a kid. And uh, on the show, they had... Yeah, you know, I'm watching this show, and there's a character, and it was, I, I was like, it was, it, I thought, it looked like it was supposed to be a woman, but, I, yeah, something didn't look right, and I was like, yeah, that's a man, and dressed like a woman, or transitioning to be a woman, and as the show went on, it was obvious that the show was pushing this agenda of you know, you can't put everything in a box, you know, the way society does, that maybe you're neither, neither, maybe you're something different, and they cleverly did that with uh, using, uh, comparing, um, comparing this to Spock, you know, because he's half human, half Vulcan, if any of you know about Star Trek, but... I talked to a couple of my friends who also watched the show. Who also were believers, and they were confused. You know, I, they didn't realize. And I was like, "Oh, that was that was supposed to that was supposed to be a non-binary person, or that wasn't really a woman." And confusion. It was confusion. It was confusing. And that's what the world is promoting. The world is confused. They're confused about gender. They're confused about a lot of things. They're confused about God. They're confused about their purpose, or God's purpose for them, or why they're here. They're confused about sin, what's sin, what's right and wrong. And they're blind. And when we start to get frustrated with them, And with what the message that they're promoting, their agenda they're promoting, or the confusion that they're pushing, remember this. The rulers of this world, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They don't know, they're blind. And you know what? If it weren't for the grace of God, we wouldn't know either, we would be blind. They're not the enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of this dark age. Satan is the enemy. He's the one that's blinded the unbelievers to the truth. They don't know. They need the truth of the gospel, but they also need the Holy Spirit. See, it's our job to present the gospel to them it's our job to share with them the secret that has been entrusted to us the secret that has been received by us as a stewardship we're the stewards of God's secret the gospel it's our job to present it to them but without the Holy Spirit it's the Holy Spirit's job to open their eyes and to give them the wisdom to receive that truth so when we get frustrated with them remember If they knew, they wouldn't have crucified him. If they knew he was the son of God. But they didn't. But we know. We are privileged. We are blessed. God has revealed his secret to us. He's revealed the gospel to us. He's revealed his redemptive plan and purposes to us. And we have a responsibility to share it with others. And pray that God will the Holy Spirit will open their eyes and give them the wisdom and give them the discernment and the understanding, the prudence uh, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. So 1 Corinthians 4, one. Let a man so committer, consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's what I was talking about. Paul said he was a steward. He had been given a stewardship, a responsibility to carry and to spread, to share the mysteries of God. And we have been given a stewardship because we have received the gospel. We have a responsibility. See, this mystery is not something that we are to keep to ourselves. It's a mystery. It's a secret that we're supposed to share with others. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52 Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. So here's the mystery that the mystery of the of the rapture here, that we're going to be resurrected and we're going to be changed, that we're going to have new bodies, we're going to be raised incorruptible in 1 Corinthians 15. That's a subset of the mystery of the gospel. That's a, a component of God's redemptive plan that he's revealed to us. It's one of the mysteries of the larger mystery, the mystery of the gospel that has been revealed to us through the scripture The God revealed to Paul and the apostles and they revealed to us. Matthew 13, 10 through 17. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, and this is Jesus, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So that's us too. I mean, many prophets and righteous men desire to see what we see and did not see it and hear what we hear and did not hear it. We are blessed to have heard the truths, the wisdom of the gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. And God doesn't reveal it to everyone. His spirit doesn't reveal it. Some of them them see it and hear it, but they don't really see it and hear it because they don't have the wisdom from God. And without the wisdom from God, we would see it and not see it too. We would hear it and not hear it too. But to you, Jesus said, to the disciples, it was given to receive the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And to us, As believers, we have been given to receive the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 3, 3 3-6. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. In verse 8b, uh, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this mystery, uh, this is an incredible passage and we'll get to this later in Ephesians in, in more detail, but this mystery is that Paul is referring to here, this subset of the mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs of the same body. That we as Gentiles would be brought into the people of God, into the church, the assembly, the body of Christ, that we would be fellow heirs, made fellow heirs with Jews and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That Christ died to, came to save Jews and Gentiles, that we're going to be, Brought together into one body, one people of God. That mystery, which it was something that was hidden that God revealed to the apostles. And it had been prophesied in scripture, but it was hidden. It wasn't received. People didn't have the wisdom to accept it. And it wasn't fully revealed yet that it would be the same body. I mean, Gentiles were to be saved but that they'd be fellow heirs with the Jews, with God's chosen people, that they would be chosen of God too, Gentiles. That's us, most of us here. That we would receive these spiritual truths that God gave to the Jews and the truths of the gospel. Um, So that mystery is talked about later in Ephesians. And the interesting thing is that The church is to make known this wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We're to reveal this truth to, we're revealing something to angels and demons and spiritual beings about God's purpose. Um, They're getting that wisdom from the church. Calvin said the decree to adopt the Gentiles is declared to have been till now hidden in the mind of God, but so hidden that God reserved it in his own power until the time of revelation. Colossians 1, through 28. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. There's that word stewardship again, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery of which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So what is the mystery here? The MacArthur Study Bible said the mystery is that believers, both that believers, both Jews and Gentiles now possess the surpassing riches of the indwelling Christ in this in the glorious revealed mystery. So the mystery is that Christ would live inside of us, that he would indwell us. Whether Jews or Gentiles. That's something that was hidden that now is revealed, that Christ would live within us and dwell us through the Holy Spirit. So those are some scriptures. I have a couple more here. But um, yeah, Colossians 2, 2. Uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding up to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, this talks about the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. So, I think this has some kind of, somehow, the mystery, perhaps. The relationship between the Father and Christ, or the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity. Um, the MacArthur note said here that the mystery is that the Messiah, Christ, is God incarnate Himself. Um, not sure exactly what he's talking about there, but it could be the Gospel in general, or just something something to do with the Trinity or with Christ incarnate. Then 1 Timothy 3.9 says, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And that is a qualification for the office of deacon, that they hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. So that they, again, I think that has to do with the stewardship. Deacons are given a stewardship with the secret that's given to them to share it. Um, First Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. In glory. So Charles Hodge says, the mystery here is the manifestation of God in the flesh, or the incarnation. And the MacArthur note says the mystery, what was hidden, but is now revealed is the manifestation of true and perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. And then I don't want to get into this cause it'll, it'll take too much time this morning, but first Thessalonians chapter two, verses seven through eight talks about the mystery of lawlessness and the lawless one. Um, and you can look that up or, um, if you like. But these mysteries, there. there's a big mystery, which is the gospel, and then there's these smaller mysteries that are components of God's redemptive plan, his plan for redemption, such as that, that the Jews have been blinded temporarily until a number of Gentiles have been saved, and then a large number of Jews, or all Israel, is going to be brought, grafted back in to uh, the church. Um The mystery that Jews and Gentiles are to be brought together in one body in the church, together. And the Gentiles are going to be made fellow heirs with Jews, heirs of God, heirs with Christ. Uh, There's the mystery of the incarnation. Um, There's the mystery of um, the gospel in general, the mystery of the indwelling Christ, that Christ is indwelling us. And we have a mystery here that we're going to talk about in Ephesians 1 after we've talked about all the other ones. Um, That's something that was hidden that's been revealed to us. Um, Lincoln, Andrew Lincoln, in his commentary says, uh, In the various mystery cults which would have been familiar to the recipients of this letter, the common characteristic was possession of a secret or secrets which were made known only to initiates, giving them great spiritual privileges unavailable to others without knowledge. And the baraka, the baraka, as we talked about, was this song. Um, the first um, this large part of the first chapter of Ephesians in the barica of Ephesians as a blessing um, in the barica of Ephesians the writer sees the Christian community as a highly privileged group also believers can bless God that he has disclosed his secret to them and that they have been given wisdom and insight and yet this secret is one that can be proclaimed openly and one that has a scope that goes far beyond the community or any exclusive claims it might be tempted to make for itself. So the difference with God's secret and the secrets that cults have or these mystery cults that during the time or even cults today that have secret knowledge is that God has given us those secrets and he said you don't have to keep them a secret." You can disclose them to everyone. In fact, we're commanded to preach the gospel to everyone and disclose these things to everyone. Unlike other religions of the time in which secrets were only revealed to and kept by initiates, the recipients of the wisdom of God are commanded to share all the knowledge that God has imparted to us. It is up to the Holy Spirit to enable to help others understand, comprehend, and receive those secrets. Colossians two two says that their hearts may be encouraged. I'm oh, sorry, I already read that one. Um, so let's look at the next. What is the secret? Well, we're going to get there. Um, that he's talking about here, this mystery. Let's continue in verse nine. According to his good, so he. Let's go back to verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. As God's election is according to his good pleasure, his revelation of the mystery of his will is as well. If you look back in verse 5, it says he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So here he has um, revealed this mystery to us according to his good pleasure. It pleased the Lord to reveal the mystery of his will to us to share with us his plan. The same word eudoxia is used in verse 5, his good pleasure. Um, Calvin wrote, uh, the Ephesians are thus led to consider that Christ has been made known and the gospel preached to them not because they deserved any such thing but because it pleased God. So we receive these, this wisdom from God and this, these mysteries because it pleased him to reveal them to us. Eudoxia means kind intention or sovereign purpose. The sense then is, um, according to Charles Hodge, having made known the mystery of his will according to his kind intention or purpose, which he had purposed in himself. Um, so I think this word eudoxia, his good pleasure can refer to his sovereign, as we talked about before in verse five, it can refer to his sovereign and benevolent pleasure or free and gracious pleasure. So it is God's sovereign and gracious delight. Um, it's his pleasure, his gracious delight to reveal these mysteries to us and this mystery, the mystery of the gospel and, and these other these mysteries of, of God's redemptive plan. Peter O'Brien wrote, good pleasure signifies not simply the purpose of God, but also the delight that he takes in his plans. It has warm and personal connotations and draws attention to God's willingness and joy to do good. So this is God's Sovereign plan, his purpose, it's not because we deserve it, it's that he purposed in himself to do it graciously and that we didn't deserve it. It was his kind intention to reveal these things to us, to share these secrets with us, as it was his in kind intention to adopt us graciously, to adopt us or predestine us to adoption as sons. God is re- kind to reveal his plan to us, to reveal things that were previously hidden, and to give us the prudence or ability to understand and receive and appreciate what he reveals. So let's look at the next phrase here. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time. So, what is the mystery? Of his will, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one things all in Christ. So that's a lot. That says a lot there. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times. First of all, what does dispensation mean? <laughs> um, we've heard what it means. Uh, a lot of a lot of we've heard things, well, there's dispensationalism, which would say dispensation is um, a, uh, a period of God's revelation or so forth. But what dispensation really means is a stewardship or an administration or management, it can mean that according to. The MacArthur Study Bible says dispensation means a stewardship and administration or management. Um, The word in Greek is economia, um, from where we get our word economy. So uh, Charles Hodge says, the word has two general senses in the New Testament. When used in reference to one in authority, it means plan, scheme, or economy. When spoken of one under authority, it means an office stewardship or administration of such office. Um, So it's used as a stewardship for Paul. Uh, We looked at that um, passage when we were talking about mysteries, the passages that had the word mystery in them. But um, here I think it just is referring to God administering or carrying out his plan. God is carrying out his plan or administrating his plan. Um, so in the, in the, in God's carrying out his plan or administering, administrating his plan for the fullness of times. Um, He's bringing the time that really the end of times, the fullness of times refers to Christ's return. It refers to the second coming. Um, so, In the dispensation of the fullness of times, that means when God carries out his plan for the fullness of times, he will gather together in one, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. This is the mystery. So now we need to move on to what this means, that he's going to gather together in one all things in Christ might gather together and one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So let's start with this word, gather together. What does it mean? That he's going to gather together all things. Um, I'm reading from the Net Bible. The precise meaning of the infinitive, saste that's a long word, uh, gather together and verse 10 is difficult to determine since it was used relatively infrequently in Greek literature and only once in the New Testament. While there have been several suggestions, um, only twice in the New Testament, here in Romans 13.9, while there have been several suggestions, three deserve mention. One is to sum up in Romans thirteen nineteen. Using the same term, the author there says that the law may be summarized in one command to love your neighbor as yourself. The idea then in Ephesians 1.10 would be that all things in heaven and on earth can be summed up and made sense out of in relation to Christ. So is everything going to be explained or made sense of in Christ? Is that what this means? When it says that he's going to gather together all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Um, the second, number two, I'm continuing the quote, to renew, uh, the second possible meaning, to renew, if this is the nuance of the verb, then all things in heaven and earth, after they're plunged into sin and re- ruin, are renewed by the coming of Christ and his redemption. Well, that's certainly true. Everything's going to be renewed by Christ and his redemption. The third possibility for what this means is to head up. In this translation, the idea is that Christ in the fullness of times has been exalted so as to be appointed as the ruler, i.e. head over all things in heaven and earth, including the church, that this is perhaps the best understanding of the verb is evidenced by the repeated theme of Christ's exaltation and reign in Ephesians, and by the connection of to kephale, kephale which means head, language of 122. So I think I, I believe what this means up is that he's going to head up all things in Christ, uh, in one in Christ, or he's going to put everything under the headship. Everything is going to be gathered or placed under the headship of Christ. And the reason I believe this word means that is the context. Because if you look at verse um, twenty-two, it says. That God put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, in a sense, God has already begun to do this, or has already done this in Christ when he was raised from the dead and and when he was seated far above all principality and power in verse 21 and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. He put all things under His feet, the church, and also the principalities and powers are put under His authority. So there's a sense in which He's already done this. God is, Christ has conquered all things through the cross, and there's a sense in which this hasn't been completely fulfilled, that everything is not in harmony, everything is not in order or submission to Christ. There's still sin, there's still that's not been judged or punished, there's still... The church, we, we as Christians still struggle with sin. Um, we still, as the body of Christ, struggle with this unity. Uh, the demons are still in rebellion. There are still unbelievers in rebellion in this world who have not come to Christ or received judgment. So, but he's he, there's a sense in which through the cross, everything was put under his authority and under his headship, but there's a sense in which that hasn't fully come to pass yet. And he's going to do that. That's the mystery that he's revealed to us, that he's going to gather together in one all things in Christ, which which are in heaven and which are on earth. So what are the all things? And it talks about the all things in Colossians. And, And when it talks about the all things in Colossians, it talks about... Topenta in Greek, but it talks about there there's different ideas of what this means here, but in Colossians it refers to not just um, all things in heaven and earth, not just people, but also principalities and powers, demonic beings, um, angels, angelic beings. So there are different views of what the all things means here. Some, thinks it just means, some think it just means Jews and Gentiles are going to be gathered together in his headship because that's what the mystery is in chapter 3, that the Jews and Gentiles are going to be fellow heirs. But I think it goes beyond that in the context of Ephesians 1, 21 and 22 that we just removed. The principalities and powers were put under his feet and under his headship. Um, And also, in Colossians, it talks about principalities and powers. Um, So, I think, all things is all things. That that includes believers, unbelievers, that includes angelic beings, that includes demons, that includes the creation, the whole of creation is going to be put under his headship and put into order. Well, how can that be? Is this passage teaching universalism? No, it's not teaching universalism. It's not teaching that everybody's going to be saved. But it's teaching that the, the body of Christ is certainly going to be brought into harmony under Christ. The angelic beings are going to be brought into union with the body of Christ under Christ. Not, not as one body, but they're, they're going to be united under his headship. And then the evil angels and those who are not repentant, the wicked, they're going to be brought into judgment. And everything's going to be brought into order. And I think what explains this partly is Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to go there. Everything is going to be brought into harmony and order under Christ. Philippians 2 says in verse 10, Um, in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue is going to be brought under the headship of God, of Christ, and submitted to to him and to admit, yes, you are Lord, Jesus, you are Lord. They're going to confess him as Lord, whether they are his children or not, whether they love him or not, whether they're in rebellion against him or not. That means every demon, uh, Satan himself, and every unbeliever, as well as us who've already confessed it, we're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Secondly, I think the passage that helps us understand this with the creation, because it says all things are going to be brought under his headship, is the creation, as a result of sin, has been subject to futility. That would mean the world, with all the tornadoes and hurricanes, as well as the animal kingdom, the plant animal kingdom, The the creation is out of whack because of the fall. It's out of sorts. It's violent. Animals killing each other. um, Poisonous plants. Um, So, if you look in verse 19 of Romans 8, uh, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. So, the creation is out of sorts. It's groaning. It's eagerly waiting for all the sons of God to be saved so that it can be restored and it can be renewed and it can be brought under the headship of Christ and brought into harmony and order under Christ. This is simply saying, and this is the mystery, that Christ is going to make everything new. That God is going to make everything new and bring everything under Christ, under his rulership and harmony and order to his glory. How can we live in wisdom in light of this mystery that's been revealed to us? We can proclaim this wonderful truth that Christ is going to restore all things. Everything in creation that you see that's out of whack, the demons, and evil is going to be ju- evil is going to be judged and stopped in its tracks everything is going to be restored to the way it should be and we can live as if we're living for that instead of living for this world and the things of this world and the temporary pleasures of sin we can live for that for the day that In the fullness of times, when God administrates that, his plan, that everything is going to be brought under the headship and the lordship of Christ in such a way that there is harmony. And for us as believers who have been forgiven and who are heirs of his kingdom, that is good news. That is a secret that's worth knowing. That is a secret that we're privileged to have received and to have been given the wisdom through the Holy Spirit, to understand and to rejoice in. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your glorious truth. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for your plan. That you're going to bring everything under the lordship and headship of Christ and bring restore harmony as the de- Martin Lloyd-Jones said that you will restore harmony to your creation. That you will restore harmony to your people. And that all your enemies will be put under your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.